Hello and welcome to another Formula Scout podcast established in 2011 and previously found at paddockscout.com. Formula Scout is home to regular news features and podcasts from the world of junior single-seater racing, tracking the progress of future Grand Prix stars. Now joining me this afternoon is Elliot Wood and Joshua Satil. How are you both? Great. Good. <laughs> Excellent. And we have got a, a nice... Um, healthy discussion to, to do today on the subject of driver ratings. Now, for those who are unaware, the official Formula One 2020 game is re released next month in, in July, and included in there is a new feature called My Team, where you can become the 11th team on the grid, create your own team, be one of the be a driver owner, um, which is very un F1 like these days, and hire yourself a teammate. Now, among the drivers that you can hire as a teammate are the 2019 Formula 2 drivers. And each of them have been given ratings in addition to the Formula 1 drivers. Now, all of these have proven to be slightly controversial on social media, to, to say the least. So we're going to write the wrongs that have been put into place by Codemasters and give our opinions on what sort of ratings the, the, these drivers should actually have. Now, gentlemen, shall we start with um, the the ratings that have been given to the nine drivers that we are aware of at the moment? Well, I think it might actually be a, a bit more than, more than nine. And we'll start at the bottom and work our way up. And we have got Ralph Boshong, who is rated at 54. Is that, a, is that an acceptable number for him, do we think? Uh, he's not the, I don't think he's the worst driver in F2. I mean, obviously, we have to see the rest of them, don't we? I think the main contention here is who's above Boshong, which I think we have to immediately mention is Tatiana Calderon. And then I think if you uh, watched F2 last year, uh, there's just no argument for putting Calderon above Boshong or indeed above anyone apart from a certain MP motorsport driver. So, mm. yeah, a little harsh on Boshong to be placed where he is, but his rating's probably about right. I mean, it's always been difficult to judge him because of his machinery and his, his awful luck, his awful list of retirements. I think he's got one of the highest retirement rates in recent years. But, uh, yeah, his, his rating's fine. It's just where he's placed on this list. Yeah, totally. Um, Elliot, what do you think about Calderon being rated at, at 56 in that respect? Well, I'm presuming this rating is because it's part of the F1 career mode of my team. It's an F1 rating rather than an F2 rating, uh, if that makes sense. Because yeah. if it is an F2 rating, that is pretty dire. And if it's an F1 rating, I'd even say it's a little too high for her. But yeah, like Josh said, there's no argument that she can be above anyone apart from Mahavira Gunnarsson, to be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, and the rank, the rankings don't make sense because she spent, what, six years at F3 level between F3 and GP3. So, if anything, should she not have more experience? And then, you know, that, that could bump her up a little bit. But instead, they've given her more. What have they given her? Uh, well, the pace is quite low as well. I don't know. It seems to just have like a, a decent number, I guess. Yeah. I'm yeah. not sure. It's uh, very something, confusing. Something that I found in the, in the F1 ratings as well, um, because someone like Esteban Ocon has got a, a rating of 54, even though he's done two and a half seasons in, in F1. Yet George Russell, who has done only one season, has got a rating of 52. So that, that doesn't really sort of 
um, reflect that too well, I, I find. Um, it, it, it honestly feels like a lot of these um, numbers are, are quite difficult to to really justify in a lot of ways. But moving back onto onto topic, um, only two marks, if you will, um, ahead of Calderon is Louis Delatraz, a uh, 58, which I think is a little bit harsh for him, surely. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely half on on Delatraz. Um, definitely not deserving of, of 58. Um, again, the pace is, is quite low. Um, experience, obviously, he's quite experienced. But yeah, again, <laughs> an odd one, I think. And especially the, the guy who is above him as well is a even stranger. Mm, yeah, definitely. Uh, Sergio Sete Camara is rated at 59. Um and his highest attribute is um, pace sixty five, which is which is a fairly high number, really, um, considering. Elliot, what do we what do we make of uh, that that ranking? I think the, the pace is fairly representative, given he did set the lap record at Macau um, in earlier years. So, like, he is a very quick driver. But the fact that his experience is thirty two, um, I don't think he's. I think he's had one test in a Formula One car back in. 2016 if I'm not mistaken and yeah he's had a few years of experience in F2 but remember he went straight into kind of F3 and like I don't think he you can't really argue that he's got more experience than someone like Louis Dallatraz who spent years doing Formula Renault and, and things like that mm. Cameras is definitely the worst on the on this list for me like rating him 59 is when he's one of the, the best drivers on the grid like sure he had a he had a bad 2019 or an underwhelming 2019 but I mean, if you look at his performances in 2017, mm. Norris was was pretty good and certainly not worthy. I don't think of um, like Elliot said, the, the pace ranking is fine. It's just where it is relative to everyone else. Um, 59 overall, being on out of these 11, being fourth from bottom, just just doesn't make yeah, much sense. Definitely, really. especially when you consider Dorian Boccalacci is rated higher, bizarrely. Um, which is something that I really can't get my head around. His pace is uh, like an extraordinary, seventy-four as well. So uh, it's no, it's no offense to the Bocalacci or anything like that. But you know, you you think about top F two drivers, and you you just don't have him in in that same sort of bracket as um, you know those that were right at the front of um, the the championship last year. Especially when you consider Bocalacci only finished fourteenth um, in his partial season um last last year yeah i mean I, I definitely think he's underrated generally by most people but i don't think he's that underrated you know he's certainly not uh pace wise what they've put basically him as the joint second fastest driver in f2 um so I, you know it's, it'd be a good way to sort of show that these these guys are quicker than most people think they are but the way it's done just kind of makes the whole thing a bit of a mess so yeah um He's definitely underrated, just not mm -hmm. that underrated. And level with Boccalacci on on sixty one is you've got Mick Schumacher and Guan Yu Zhou. Now, these are two drivers who have been pretty much parallel through their um through their junior careers, but one has had a championship, one has not, and one is criminally underrated, I believe, in in a lot of um ways, and the other has got uh a rather famous name to his uh his cv more than more than anything do we think that 61 is an adequate uh number for, for both of these oh hard to argue i 
I mean, if it is an F1 rating rather than F2 rating, then both of those drivers did get mileage in F1 cars during 2019. So I presume that would boost their, their ranking if their like performances alone don't. But compared to the drivers above them, obviously, Guan Yu Zhou is very highly rated by us. Um, his name probably isn't known massively widely. Uh, but like I've seen comments of the Alfa Romeo boss saying Mick Schumacher needs to concentrate on F2 rather than F1. So I think it's fairly fair. It's fairly fair to say that inside circles believe that Schumacher isn't ready for F1 yet. So I think that rating is probably representative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, definitely. Um, the the thing is though, the Bocca actually rating is sixty one. So if it's F one experience like or F one rating, I don't know because um, you know Bocca actually hasn't been anywhere near an F one car. I presume I don't know that, but I'm just going to presume that. So that that's why it's kind of weird to see uh, Joe and Schumacher on the same rating. I mean, they were pretty equal, weren't they, at, at Prima when they were teammates in F three before Schumacher um, rocketed off. So I think, um, yeah, it's pretty good, I think, to see them both equal, like Elliot said. Um, Schumacher's not ready for F1 yet. Um, Joe probably wasn't either after that first season, but big things expected for them in 2020. So it's good to see them on level pegging, but I think they both probably should be a bit higher up um, on uh, the same rating, maybe around 66 um, for both of them. And the problem is they're kind of ranking it like, they're not taking into account that they're only in their first year, you know, they're comparing. Uh, first year Joe and Schumacher to uh, you know third fourth year drivers yep. uh, a little and the that, uh, br- another uh, F2 rookie from last year is narrowly above him on on this rating and it's a somewhat bizarre choice to see Giuliano Alesi as, uh, as so far the the highest placed rookie from 2019 even though he was uh, one of the the worst scoring full-time drivers of, uh, of last season uh, really um so I think that one's a bit of a, a strange one, to be honest. Um, I, I don't know whether you two agree or not. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's, it's probably the worst one on the list. Uh, I said that about Bocacci. This is probably the uh, Unset Camera. This is probably the, the, the mm. this is the one where it's too high placed. Um, I mean, Alessi finished 15th um, with 20 points. He had a good second half to the season, too far, but certainly not anywhere near that of, of Joe and even Schumacher, who who struggled in his first year. But I mean, it was still leagues ahead of Alessi who obviously was kind of thrown in into GP3. And then by the end, when he left GP3, he was he was pretty decent, but then just looked kind of, you know, out of place in, in Formula 2. Um, I'm sure he'll have a better second year, but yeah, I don't know where, again, they're getting that one from, um, especially on the pace 74. Like, I don't see, yeah, I don't see how that, that kind of works out. Maybe, you know, Jean Lacey obviously <laughs> sold his car to fund Lacey's career. So maybe a bit <laughs> of that money went to Codemasters to give his son a bit of a boost. That's my only uh The other thing they have is uh obviously apart from pace, it's awareness and racecraft, which kind of sound like the same thing if you're talking about an on track context. But if awareness doesn't mean on track, then uh a lazy's got fifty three rated and that is lower than everyone else's. And he's been in the Ferrari Driver Academy for years. And the two people who have really high awareness are Jack Eichen and Nick DeVries, who both happened to leave Formula One junior teams when they saw they were never gonna get to F one by that way. So maybe that's what the awareness stands for. You know, like they're aware of their own prospects. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, quite smart if that's the case. Uh, level with a lazy on 62 is Luca Giotto, um, which I think is a bit harsh, to be honest. Uh, I, I definitely put Giotto up there in, uh, you know, the, the higher bracket of uh, F2 drivers. Uh, do, we, do we think that that's uh, accurate for, for him? 
No, definitely not. This is uh, not a great rating. I mean, four points off Nick DeFries. And where he falls down is having a 21 worse awareness score than DeFries and uh, our top uh, driver on this list. So, yeah, awareness basically means that uh, the driver is less likely to lose control of that car. Um, so a little half, a little harsh on uh, Ricky Giotto. I mean, I didn't, you know, I thought he was uh, fairly solid and certainly not 21 points behind. So, uh, yeah, Elliot, what do you reckon? Well, if, if awareness means not throwing the car off the road, if I'm not mistaken, Giotto won that double win, but he got one of them taken away at Monza like two, three years ago when it was really wet and like everyone was just binning it. And I'm fairly sure he came through to win twice. So if anything, that awareness score like cannot be true in any context. Mm, yeah, definitely. Uh, as, as mentioned, the, the, there's almost a bit of a chasm between Giotto and Nick De Vries, the, the, the champion from last year. Uh, interestingly, De Vries has got a higher rating than Nicholas Latifi, who is the only driver from F2 to, to jump into F1 for this year. Uh, he, he's got an awareness of 80 um, and a pace of 70, uh, overall at 66. I, I think that's a fairly accurate representation for for De Vries. What do we make of that? Yeah, I like how they didn't um, rank Latifi higher just because he's an F1. <laughs> this is like one of the only smart decisions that they made is because um, obviously I think everyone rates De Vries higher than, than Latifi. So it was nice to see that. Uh, and like you say, his is, I think his is uh, pretty bang on. I mean, his experience, he's got a lot of experience and he's got 32 experience on here, which is the joint highest, but he's never actually tested a contemporary F1 car, and McLaren gave other drivers that chance, but never gave him that chance, so I wouldn't put him as high as 66, I think, because prior to Formula E, well, I guess Formula E isn't like a Formula 1 car at all, but like F2 is literally the highest car he's ever tested, to be honest. Mm, yeah, I, I don't know, actually. Has he tested a LMP1? I think it's testing with the Audi one at some point. Yes, yeah. with Audi, um, way back when. So F two is certainly very high. Machine uh, through it is tested, but so is LMP one. Uh, now, top of the drivers that we're aware of uh, for their ratings is Jack Aiken, which might be a surprise to to some. Um, rated rated at sixty seven, which also puts him higher than Latifi. Um, he's got a, he's got quite a, a balanced. Um, rating in in the racecraft awareness and pace areas which gives them this uh, pretty pretty high rating do we think it's fair to have Aiken of of the drivers that we've spoken about um do we think it's fair to have him top no <laughs> no i don't <laughs> think so um i mean obviously i know a lot of people like jack Aitken because he is a really good personality um but for me no he's not he's definitely not the best driver um, in F2 and wasn't in 2019 so um, I think he's slightly overrated in, in this sense um, like I'd probably put down his his pace if anything because I don't think he's outright as fast as some of the other drivers and what I'd actually do is probably up his racecraft because he's pulled off some um, some really good moves think of Silverstone um, last year so his, his racecraft is pretty good in, in terms of overtaking um, he's a little bit up and down as well so I don't know why his awareness is sort of at the top as well so Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Elliot, what do you reckon? Um, deserving of the number one spot? Uh, potentially. Obviously, we haven't seen all the other drivers, and you've got drivers like Artem Markolov with loads of experience who can like get in any car and win. Uh, I think because Eichen's part of the F1 digital team, like he does that presenting 
gig. So potentially whoever was doing the ratings kind of thought he was on the F1 periphery already and, and boosted him there. Uh, obviously, Renault rated him, and now Williams does. So he's clearly a, a well-valued asset to Formula One when he does get there. Mm, yeah, oh, Craig, are we Craig, are we now worried that Artem Markov's going to be number one? Um, <laughs> if Markov like has a pace that's you know particularly high, I'm going to be absolutely astounded, to be honest, because uh, as good as Mark Love is, he's not the quickest driver over one lap, which is a very important asset to have in Formula One. Um, so, I mean, when it comes to racecraft, though, God, there's little denying that he's uh, good in that in that regard. Uh, but, yeah, so let's talk about some of, some of the drivers that haven't been mentioned um, so far. And, and let's start with uh, Nobuharu Matsushita, who won two races last year. <laughs> both feature races, um, has been around in F2 for what feels like forever now. Um, how, what, what, where do we think his is going to slot in, you know, in, in this sort in this game? Uh, obviously his 2019 teammate, Delatraz got 58. Uh, Matashita was obviously, uh, better, but I think it's fair to say than Delatraz last year. He certainly had bigger highs. Um, obviously like Paul and Baku, um, he won. I think uh, Austrian Monza. So, yeah, obviously, I probably put him definitely above Delatraz and probably in the mix with Joe and Schumacher, maybe around that kind of low 60s is probably where I put him. But I mean, you need to restructure the whole thing, so it's it's kind of hard to say. Um, yeah, but definitely, his his kind of experience would would be up there. His awareness would be uh, not great because he does um, is a little up and down, a little win or bin. He's got better, but um, yeah. I'll probably put around the, the sort of mid-pack with uh, Joe and Schumacher. Right, okay, so next we've got Jordan King, who had a couple of podiums last year, but had a, a fairly unremarkable season nonetheless, although it was quite spectacular compared to his MP Motorsport teammate. Uh, where where do we where should we place him? Uh, he's another one with a lot of experience, isn't he? I think where are you going to put him? Oh, it's a difficult one because he was very close to getting a Manor F1 drive a few years ago. So, and he, I think he does have F1 test mileage, at least in like two year old cars. But he's never been a spectacular driver in anything he's done. But I think his awareness would be very high because I can't really remember him being in any crashes in his career at all, from like even the lowest levels up to, to Formula Two. Uh, and obviously, he's got IndyCar experience as well, which would help. Mm. Yeah, definitely. yeah, I think he. I think he finished every single IndyCar race he uh, started. I don't think he crashed any of them, which is uh, quite impressive for a rookie. Um, so I'd probably put him. I mean, again, you've got like people like Seti Camera at fifty nine. Like, I can't justify putting him above there. But mm. um, he's probably around Delitras, I'd say. Yeah, I, I think I think that's fair to be honest. Um, moving on, we've obviously got Antoine Hubert, who will be included in the game. Um, which is nice to see, I think. He obviously had two wins last year before the tragic events of Spa. Um, we, we don't want to like, give him a, an absurdly high rating and we don't want to, to downplay uh, his achievements either. But I think slotting him, him in somewhere towards the middle would be pretty fair, really, considering that he was, he was just gradually improving year on year. Um, uh, uh, there was nothing absolutely 
mesmerizingly astounding uh, from him. But there was definitely potential there for some some really high high marks going forward. Do we agree with that? Yeah, I mean, mm. purely from memory, we put uh, Aitken, Freeze, Hubert, I think is the top three for the Formula 2 last year. So by that virtue, I'd probably put him uh, with Giotto sort of just below um, Defries. Uh And Aitken I'd put a bit lower. <laughs> so it's, again, it's hard to, hard to say. But I put, I put him in like top five solidly for um, the F2, definitely, because he didn't have the, the best machinery, but definitely uh, showed plenty of pace and, and got some decent results in that. Um, mm-hmm. Again, he's never driven an F1 car, so I think if we're doing F1 ratings, that kind of brings down it a little bit. But I think until maybe Silverstone, when Arden's pace really did drop, he was actually top of the rookie points ahead of Guan Yuzhu. So if he had completed the full season, he wouldn't have got level with him, I think, because obviously Virtue AC had the fastest car and Arden definitely did not. But he's certainly surpassed you. So yeah, I'd put him there, Luca Giotto, I think, on overall rating. Although mm-hmm. the experience may bring it down. Mm-hmm. Let's mention Callum Eilert, who also had a couple of podiums last year in, in what was his rookie season, as well as a brilliant pole at Monza. Um, I'm guessing that he's one who's who might not necessarily feature too highly in terms of rating at the moment, but would definitely have the potential to to improve going forward. What do we think of that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely for me, like the dark horse for, for this coming campaign, um, you know, being alongside uh, Joe at Virtuosi, like he's got a really good opportunity there. Obviously it'll be difficult, difficult against Joe, but if he can beat him, then that's, uh, you know, quite a statement and, and quite a win for a lot. And he needs that, doesn't he? Because his career has somewhat uh, gone a little downhill. I mean, I remember when he entered Formula 3, um, he was tipped as being, you know, the next Verstappen in terms of a, another one to come straight from karting into Formula 3 and it never quite worked out. Um, again, he had another false start in, in 2018 with uh, GP3 campaign with ART. Obviously, Hubert took that title and uh, many people, including myself, thought lot would uh, not comfortably win that one, but pretty easily win that. Um, and then obviously last year with Truce, again, didn't really have the machinery, but was really solid. And uh, if he'd actually have started that Monaco feature race, you know, uh, I think it got a, a pretty good result there. So, yeah, I'd probably put Eilat, um probably uh, low 60s, probably around there. Again, just outside the top five, probably just below Hubert, uh, not too far off because, uh, yeah, a lot of potential there. He just needs to, to realise it. Mm-hmm. And that brings me on to Eilat's teammate from, from for, for much of last season, one Manuel Correa, who obviously took a couple of brilliant sprint race podiums. At Baku and at Le Castellet. Um those were definitely the, the highs in what was a rather difficult season at times, obviously before the, the events of Spa as well. Is he is he another one who would lack the experience as such and would that would bring down his, his overall rating? Definitely. Uh, I mean the Truer's car was pretty bad last year. So his F2 results weren't very effective but equally everything he's done prior to that didn't even suggest he'd be as strong as he was in F2. It was kind of a surprise how how quick he was but if you just compare to his teammate then I'd have to put him kind of very low like maybe below Delatraz um, although obviously an F2 car can uh, suit someone more like I remember Fabio Lima like the more downforce he had the better a car 
he had, the better driver he was. And I think that's the same mm. with Crea. So almost if he got an F1 car, you might even see a better driver than we saw in F2. Yeah, I think Amelie Kobayashi was another one like that, really, wasn't he? He, he, he just sort of seemed to get better and better in a car with with more and more downforce, um, and obviously culminating in a, in a brilliant sports car career now. Um, we're now moving on to some of the, the drivers who would probably end up towards the, the lower end of the ratings, uh, starting with Sean Galile, who's been in F2 for F2 and GP2 for a long time now. Um, and with very few results to, to show for it. Uh, how, how do we think the ratings are going to treat him? I mean, hopefully not very well. Um, he's probably <laughs> going to be around Boshong. I mean, if we're, again, if we're, though, if we're talking about F1 experience, then, you know, Galeel does have some. So uh, his experience like, rating should be should be pretty high. Loads of years in F2, some actual FP1s. So um, one of the few people, I think, on this list to actually have an FP1, um, I guess... Who else would actually have one? Obviously, Latifi will have some. Um, and then, I'm not sure if they're actually anyone else. I feel like I'm missing someone. But Nikita Mazepan, um, I think, has one of them. Yes, uh, did Markolov? Or I Ooh, did yes. he run in Russia? I think at Sochi. Yes, Markolov ran at Sochi. Of course, he did. But but Galeel has a few, doesn't he? So he's probably yeah. there. Yeah, and with Torosso as well. And Torosso is pretty good car to test how good a young driver is given it's always inexperienced drivers who get in those cars mm. that's true so it's it's surprising really that torosa uh didn't sign in for a for a race drive but um <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i reckon he's probably going to be above boshong probably they're probably going to put him above boshong i mean he does have better results technically so and that experience level so it's probably where i put him or probably where they're going to put him sorry i just like clarify i would not put him above boshong Mm. Yeah. I think his awareness would be really high as well. Obviously, we've seen him crush loads, but he has rally car experience. Like He used to be rallying before he went into car racing. So his ability to save a car should be good, in theory. In theory. I don't think we've seen it enough. You couldn't, <laughs> couldn't save it out of the pits out and have it love you. But... No. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Oh. The term Goliath, <laughs> the, t- the term Goliath into the wall, uh, you know, will forever be synonymous with that, I believe. Uh, let's move on to another rookie for, from last year, Nikita Mazapan. Um, obviously, a, a um, GP3 runner up, um, and is one with a bit more potential than I think the results uh, perhaps showed last year. Do we think that his numbers are going to be a little bit on the on the low side as well? Yeah, sh- surely. <laughs> Again, someone with some some F1 experience, I believe, um, but. Yeah, it, it should it should be pretty low. Hopefully, you'll see uh, more from him this year. That's all I can say. Oh uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure on that one because I think his GP3 campaign was a blip in that it was a very good, and he hadn't done anything very good prior to that. But he was part of Force India's basic. Well, he was basic Force India's test driver for a few years, so he'd know how a kind of 2017 onwards F1 car is going to operate. He'll know how to save them at speed. Although obviously you have less oversteering moments in a car with that much grip. So maybe his experience will be pretty high. His pace is going to be low. Probably, I think like all the Russian drivers have had a really bad pace. Uh, Kvyat, Markolov, <laughs> Mazapan, uh, Vitaly Petrov as well. He was mega in races and I don't ever remember him being good in qualifying. Sergei so, Sorokin yeah. as well. Um, you could put into yeah. that mix, yeah. His awareness would be awful. <laughs> 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 Out of the lead. Oh, yeah, of course. Yes. 
Um, and that brings us on to the last uh, full-time driver, and I believe the, the last driver that will be in <laughs> in in the F2 lot, and that is uh, the brilliant Mahavir Agenofen. Um So are we just going to say that all of his rating should be about four or five now, or uh, do we think he deserves a little bit more than that? Elliot? Um, all right, I'll lead on this. <laughs> If, if you're developing a game and you want to sell it to every market around the world, and well, they've, already, they've already given Grand Niger a bad rating, but if you've got one Indian driver and you want to sell as many games in India as possible, then you're not going to give Mahavira Gunafan like a stupidly low uh, level, unfortunately. Uh, so I think he'd be low 50s, maybe only a few below Ralph Boshung. Uh, and yeah, I mean, if you want to start a grow mode in Mahavira Gunafan, you've got to have a driver who can actually do well because otherwise you know your career mode might end after one year if he crashes the car every race i mean you just know that everyone's gonna create youtube videos of him as their teammate or, or any sort of career mode will just people will be hiring him because you can obviously hire f2 drivers to f1 team so you can tell people are gonna do that um i would say he has relevant f1 experience but obviously in boss gp he actually drove an a1 great grand prix car so not quite yeah. f1 but um decent experience though decent car yeah definitely um we we could list off the the drivers that did partial seasons or like one of cameos last year, but I don't think they'll be they'll be included to be honest. Um, so no Markov, unfortunately. Um, although if he was included, he, he would definitely be uh, one up there on the on the racecraft, but not necessarily. They've on already the got um, they've already got Markov on the F one game though, surely because on obviously on F one twenty nineteen. Mm. I know because he's in direct two in 2019, yeah. 2018, did he? Yeah. Um, well, who are the drivers who did like the year before? Who they probably got like you know their faces and everything they could just paste onto the new game, and you could potentially add them. If there's any of those we can think of? Uh, Farco, Roberto yeah. Mary. Uh, you can tell I'm reading off a list. <laughs> Makino, <laughs> Fukuzumi, oh, Ferrucci, of course. Oh, Ferrucci. Oh. Yes. And actually, Dan Tictum, who you can put back in, <laughs> although he was he was never in the game. But um, they are adding the 2020 season just later on, so it'd be interesting to see how mm-hmm. they rate those drivers. Because I presume by the time they put them in, we would basically have, I mean, would have had races, but by the time they actually add them, um, they weren't affected in the season. I presume that they'll just have to judge it off. Yeah, the past. Yeah. What do you think they put Tictum as? Uh, if we're using base what they've already done with the the nine we have. What do you think his ratings would be? I, I think his pace is going to be pretty high, to be honest. Um, he is a properly rapid driver when he wants to be. Um, it'll, it'll obviously be a little bit lacking in the in the experience front, um, and his awareness might not be so <laughs> so high. I'd, but, I'd uh... argue that. I'd argue that. I mean, he's he's what he's dominated Macau, which is the one circuit in the world where you need mad car control, mm. and like. You're not going to, and if anyone saw the video of him today, burning it out the pit lane at Silverstone in slightly damp conditions, like all four wheels spinning, supreme car control, I think he has. So I'd, I'd give him good awareness. Maybe not race craft. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. You can pull some good overtakes though, um, but maybe also some not good stuff. Um, I mean, honestly though, I'd like, he's, I do rate him like higher than someone like Jack Aitken. It's just he needs to sort out um, everything else. Yeah, definitely. Um, now the last last point is, I'm I'm assuming this is going to work a little bit like how um, 
FIFA does in that these these overall rate or all of these ratings can fluctuate. So drivers who are towards the the tail end of their career, such as Shikimi Raikkonen's, for example, all of their all of their numbers are going to drop off pretty pretty quickly, apart from experience, obviously. Um, whereas all of these young drivers have got the potential potential to grow and have their numbers increased quite drastically do we see any of do we think any of the drivers that we've mentioned have got the potential to have an overall of say 90 which is a which is going to be like one of the the highest ratings well schumacher surely they'll they'll program into the game him to do that regardless of whether or not they believe he will have he will be like that one day um i'm sure that they will they'll program that into the game so that he's up there um and joe hopefully as well will be probably up into the 70s 80s but i reckon schumacher they've programmed to to go into the 90s for sure yeah and one british driver as well given britain's probably the biggest market for the game people are going to want to be using their british drivers so i maybe maybe even ticked them if they add him later on <laughs> but i uh, well you don't know how good he might be in f1 car oh no i think it, i know i think he will <laughs> like i do think he's i do rate him it's just uh the fan reaction to that that's all yeah Calamilet, yeah. I think, as well. Because Calamilet's very quick and he's part of Ferrari. And I believe he's still part of Alfa Romeo regardless of his Ferrari link. So, you know, he could be a good good bet to go into the 90s. Yeah, yeah, quite possibly. Um, that would be interesting to see, I think, uh, how various people's uh, careers get underway. Um, I, I know, I'm certainly looking forward to to, to trying it out, I, th- I think it's um, definitely been been overdue. This sort of uh, micromanagement feature, uh, including the, the junior categories, uh, if they incorporate more junior categories into this, and I, I think that's um, all the better. To be honest, uh, let's move on to to news, and we have got a little bit of news really uh, in that we've got F1 drivers driving in junior Formula cars including Lando Norris, who was Twitch streaming his uh, his ventures today in, uh, I believe, the Euro Formula car. Was Is that correct, Elliot? Or was uh, yeah, it was, yes. it was one of Carlin's old F312 chassis mm. with the 2017 spec Volkswagen engine, if I recognize the engine note. Mm-hmm. And I believe Carlos Sainz was also testing a, an older or a lower Formula car uh, as well the other day. Um, yeah. Well, signs are testing today as well. So Mm. both of them were in the F three one two slash F three one sevens. Then the garage next to them was Zane Maloney and I believe Nicholas Latifi Mm. in the new Delara three twenties. Then the garage beyond that was Caden Frederick and another driver in the British F three cars. And there was a British F four car there, but I didn't know who was driving it. And Double R turned up this morning for Dan Tickton, which I wasn't expecting. Oh, okay. So yeah, we've got. Drivers from from across the board getting getting mileage in ahead of the, well, we've had the grand uh, cancellation or postponement of motorsport, and now we've got the grand resumption of it coming, which I think is great. Uh, so, what do we make of uh, these F1 drivers testing in in say like Formula Three cars? I mean, it's great, for, it's great to see, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it's good for team and driver, right? Because it's good for the driver to have a bit of fun behind the wheel, especially for like Norris. It was his championship winning car, no? Like he was the first champion of this new era um in 2017 uh and obviously signs well he, i think he drove the 2012 i think around so he would have just been in that car just with the old yeah. nose um, yeah he did the british f3 season in it 
Yeah, exactly. So they both kind of have a bit of fun um, reminiscing. I mean, everyone, all the drivers talk about how much they love driving those cars. So um, they're having a bit of fun and mainly for the teams as well, you know, like especially with that new um, Formula 3 car that you're a Formula Open are going to be using. Having uh, an experienced driver like Nicholas, Nicholas Latifi uh, driving it uh, is definitely going to do, do the team uh, quite a bit of good. Even someone like Dan Tictum, you know, even if they're not in F1 yet, um, they'll still bring a, a lot of valuable yeah. experience. Well, Tictum's done a lot of the actual development work for Delara on that car. So and I think he did the first shakedown for Double R back in February, maybe, at Silverstone. So he has driven that. He's probably put more miles on that car than anyone else. Um but the fact that the regular drivers aren't in it is kind of worrying because when the season does start, they're only going to have one day of proper testing, potentially. And if Dan Tickton's been driving their car and Latifi's been driving their car all the time instead, um, I'm sure that the kind of things they demand from the car are going to be very different to someone with less experience and less car control and kind of less set-up understanding, especially with a new car. So it's fun for the drivers. I don't think it's going to be that fun for the teams looking back once the season starts mm. why do you think why do you think that is is that down to travel issues because like uh did you say that simmons was there or not uh no i don't think simmons was there today he was there in the first test which was a few months ago but i didn't oh, see him okay. there today uh and yeah travel issues did cause some of the because in masano we've had mick schumacher and Prima's fia free drivers doing the formula regional test and there was one of them who couldn't go because of travel. And in IndyCar as well, a lot of them have been testing Will Power's new kart because they can actually travel in between states to test IndyCar or single-seaters. So they just end doing karting development for their rival, essentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, another another big name who's been testing uh, lower Formula cars is Mick Schumacher, who made a cameo in Formula Regional. What do we make of uh? What do we make of this? He was quick as well, wasn't he? Uh, what do we make of this? Elliot, you're probably better placed. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I had t- several insiders at that test leaking me information, which is fun. Uh, essentially, Schumacher's t- presence there was supposed to be top secret, but if you look into the lap times, he did mostly short stints. I think so. It was kind of neck training in the same way that Norris and Science are just doing laps for fun in Formula 3 cars but Jamie Chadwick was there at the same time and she's their only regular driver of the Formula Regional drivers and he was lapping like two three seconds faster than her which the internet has taken to be Chadwick being really slow but I kind of guess that depends on how you rate Mick Schumacher do you rate him as a, a very good Formula 3 level driver uh, or at least in a Formula 3 level car or do you two think he's not very rep- representative of a pace to, to use as a benchmark. I think if he was doing um, short, sharp stints, then I don't think there's a huge amount that you can read into that. Um, with regards to Chadwick, um, to be honest, if Chadwick's just getting herself acquitted with uh, with the team and and all that sort of stuff, while while Schumacher is focusing more on on like his neck muscles, for example, I, I think the pair were on very different. Um, agendas, if, if you will. So I wouldn't read too much into that at all, to be honest. I mean, Nanini um, was fastest, wasn't he, for DR Formula? So um, he beat all of them <laughs> on the second day. So I feel like uh, that kind of showed that uh, perhaps wasn't the most representative um, in terms of what Premier were doing, just kind of doing their own thing. 
Yeah, and, and oddly, they sent all their F4 drivers to Germany, the Italian F4 team. They sent them to Germany, and then they brought in basically their Germans to Italy for some odd reason as well. So we didn't get to see their proper F4 program either, which would have been interesting. But this is, again, isn't it? It's like an advantage for Prima again, because they seem to be doing more testing than any other team. Um, I mean, Carling are doing, Carling are doing quite a, a fair bit as well. Um, but in terms of um, Formula 3, Formula 4 level, uh, Prima are looking pretty good if they're able to do all these tests. Prima looking good for a season? Well, I never. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we, like, we, if Formula Regional wasn't already stacked enough uh, against all the other teams, yeah. I know some of them are there now. But Prima just there from the start with like a fleet of cars with really experienced drivers, even if it's not their actual race drivers. It's uh, pretty ominous. Prima Armada um, is coming is coming into the into the fore definitely. Uh, so let's move on to calendar announcements, and I'm, I'm sure we've had a few. Um, Elliot, do you mind, you know, running us down uh, some of the major calendar announcements? Yeah, um, I was going through some really odd Formula Four ones today. It looks like Formula 4 in Finland will start in August and it looks like it's going to start in Japan in July. But they're both very unofficial at the moment because there's been a flare-up in cases. ADAC Formula 4 hasn't announced anything, but the German uh, like central government, I guess you could call it, has had a announcement that they're going to ban mass gatherings until at least the end of summer, which should put the start of that season under threat. And I imagine we'll kill off any possibility of a German Grand Prix now. Um, we've had Euro Formula add a test, a two-day test in Germany, though a lot of the teams are testing privately anyway, uh, including at Silverstone. Ah, and right. also, ju- just to add as well, that the, the Nuremberg 24 Hours is taking place in September, um, despite that ban, or at least it's it's supposed to be. So possibly, I mean, obviously, Formula, <laughs> it's not exactly the same thing, is it? Formula 4 versus a major endurance race. But, um, you know, maybe a, a little bit right? of hope there. Yeah, yeah exactly. So a little bit of hope there. Mm. Yes. And, and that, segues, that segues me on nicely onto uh, our last topic. And there's features on our Formula Scout site for you to, to read. And one of those features that we're going to highlight is Elliot's one on Formula 4 drivers to watch. Do you want to give us a brief insight into that one, Elliot? Yeah. Um... Just going through all the entry lists and all the signed drivers of every single F4 series across the globe, apart from British F4, because we, we always do a separate preview for that, but going through them and seeing who are the, the best drivers to watch. Unsurprisingly, as we've already said, any driver driving for Prima is going to be up there, uh, although they've got an all-rookie lineup this year for the first time in the team's history, going all the way back to like former Abarth years. I don't even think we did it back then. Um, in Spain, we've got a local team, uh, which is Prager F4, which is, runs at the Valencia circuit. They look like they're going to win the Spanish title with uh, Carlos Martinez. And in France, we've only got six drivers confirmed, but I'm fairly sure dominant Japanese F4 champion Ren Sato will be the one to watch there. And the very last one's Germany, um, which we've just mentioned might be delayed. But every single team has a, at least two or three drivers who could fight for that title. And we've seen it in the past with like Marcus Armstrong, Yuri Vips coming through, even Felipe Drogovic. That's probably going to be the most competitive junior series in the world this year, I'm guessing. Mm. Excellent. I, I think everyone should go and read that, as well as my column, which I wrote one day the other week, um, to explaining why I think that F1 
being forced to to show its hand and put in absolutely unprecedented cost cutting measures is in fact a gift to other series around the globe and to its junior drivers. So I, I think you should all go and read my column, shameless plug there. Um, so that is it for us for, for this episode of the Formula Scout podcast. We will be back soon with another Formula Scout podcast. Goodbye. Adios. Ciao.